Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Thank you, Sam. It's good to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Really appreciate that. It was great to be at retreat yesterday. And uh, I want to encourage you if uh, next year you get in for that early bird Early bird price. I don't know if there is an early bird price, but there may be now. So get in for that and really go along. It'll be a fantastic time for, uh, for everyone. It was, it'll be great. Just seeing that uh, film, a little video of uh, Janine. Janine um, came to, uh, left to go to Mission Field the, the year, the time, exact time I arrived at, uh, at Gateway Baptist as senior pastor a few years ago, 1997. I don't think she went because I came, but... Uh, <laughs> But uh, it was just great. And she's a really, really wonderful, gutsy person who just loves Jesus and shares. So it's just great to see her face on the screen. It's good. Hey, this morning, you know, you've been looking at the whole thing of the whole thought of, of blessed, looking at the Beatitudes and what that, what that means, what Jesus was saying for us. I want to start by reading you something. It's, um, it's not just to be self-indulgent, please, but... When we, we moved recently and in the bottom of a box was an old school report. Um, I grew up in Adelaide, came out to, from Ireland, from Belfast when I was nine years of age and went to school in Elizabeth in South Australia. If you know Elizabeth, it's a pretty tough town. And Elizabeth High School, I did my schooling in my high school year there and, uh, and I just want to, I've got to tell you, my, we didn't come from a church background at all and my God was sport. Sport was my God. I'd played a lot of it and loved it and in all sorts of ways. And I want to read you a little bit about my school report. Just And there's a reason for doing this. I've got to test, not just self-indulgence. There is a reason for doing this. This is my year eight. We had a three-term year, not a four-term year. Timothy's very young and immature. And although his work is untidy, he's always responsive and refreshing to teach. He's done extremely well in Latin. Beautiful. And we hope this will be an incentive to work hard at his weaker subjects, which were all the others, <laughs> basically. Um, next term. We congratulate Timothy on his excellent result in Latin. And we feel sure he will settle down next term to improve his handwriting and to concentrate wholeheartedly in lesson time. Went on to year nine. Year nine. Timothy's worked steadily but without any real improvement. With his keen interest in sport, he has the ability to be a good all-round student. However, much more active interest in lessons and in private study are essential if this is to be the case. Next term. I'm not going to read you all of these. but Timothy is a polite, well-mannered, cooperative boy and an active member of sports team. His results, however, are most unimpressive. Can you say, can you say that these days? No. He's been quite unable to accept the challenge in year nine this year. Year 10. Timothy's a good-natured lad who has an abundance of energy. We hope he will realise that he must maintain a fair balance between sport and study if he's to do justice to his academic ability. We ask his cooperation in this matter as these results are well below his real standard. Year 10. It gets better in year 10. Timothy is his own worst enemy. 
well-intentioned, cheerful and friendly, he is yet incapable of sustained concentration or silence. <laughs> Written work is frequently slapdash, although he shows in discussion that he's incapable of understanding, that he's capable of understanding concepts. His general attitude shows an irresponsibility not in keeping with the standard expected at this level. Be encouraged, some of you young people. This is a <laughs> second term. Listen to this. The comments made in the first term are still applicable. <laughs> Tim is intelligent, perfectly capable of mastering the course. If all examinations were oral, he would probably pass. Tim will need to use every moment at school reinforced with home study if he's to make up lost ground. Year 12, the first time. Progress, unsatisfactory. Attitude, has not faced his responsibilities. Other comments, good participation in school sport. That was it. <laughs> that was it. Yet last term. Progress, unsatisfactory in most respects. Attitude, some improvement over previous terms, but still lacking in purpose. Other comments, a pleasant, courteous student, although some evidence of reasonable effort was produced near the end of the year, there was never any real serious attempt to uh, overcome difficulties. Year 12, the second time. <laughs> Progress, satisfactory. Thanks. Attitude, responsible, determined, conscientious worker has shown a sense of loyalty and service to his school. Other comments, an impressive, steady, balanced terms work as house captain, captain of the tennis team, captain of the school football team. Tim has had very has heavy demands on his time and energy but has not allowed this to impede his progress. How good's that? Good. Last term at school, satisfactory. Attitude from the first day of the school year to the last, Timothy involved himself thoroughly in his work and, gen and gen gained in poise, confidence and perceptiveness as the standard of his work improved at a steady rate. He remained thoroughly courteous, considerate and responsible, gave equally good service to the school activities, especially in sport, was awarded a prize for so-and-so and so-and-so. My reason for telling you that is that something happened between year 12 and year 12 for me. I'd love to say to you I was thoroughly and um, remarkably converted. That was when it happened, but that didn't happen for me for a few years later. But something happened in inside me that I really can't describe that changed from year 12 the first time to year 12 the second time. And the reason for telling you that is when it comes to the Beatitudes, and when it comes to the teachings of the, the Gospels particularly, and particularly when it comes to the, the events of Easter, particularly the crucifixion, something happened. Something happened between when Jesus said, into your hands I commit my spirit, and then a few seconds probably, if not minutes, seconds later, when he breathed his last. Something happened at the death of Jesus that wasn't just, wasn't just forgiveness of your sin. That would be enough. But a new plan, a, God, a new covenant it's called in the Bible began at the very death of Jesus. The moment he breathed his last, something changed from a, an old covenant, an old way of relating with people, no way where people could understand God and just, very hierarchical and very 
religious to a new covenant that comes in the moment he dies. Hebrews says in chapter 8, verse 13, it says the old covenant at that moment became obsolete. And obsolete means it was, it's done, run its course and it's been replaced. And it's been replaced now by a new covenant of life, a new covenant of the Spirit of God dwelling within us. It's a new covenant. It's a new relationship. Something happened in those few moments. And more than just the forgiveness of your sin, as I said, that would be enough. But rocks were split in two and earthquakes happened and a temple, and a curtain in the temple, four inches thick, was split in two from, from top to bottom. Something happened that, that drew our attention to something bigger and this whole new relationship that put Jesus in a very difficult spot. And here's why. Because He lived in an old covenant world because it didn't come into play till he died. But the things that he was saying and the things that he was doing, those things were preparing people for a new covenant world. And he lived in this tricky in-between, this almost limbo stage where it hadn't come yet, but he's preparing people for it. He was ushering people in. He was drawing people to a new relationship and a new way of connecting with God and a new investment in people by His Spirit that He was just to give very soon. That's the, that's the change that happened. Something happened between when He was saying to His Father, I'll give up my spirit, and when He actually did give up His spirit, something happened that changed everything. And now we live as people in a new covenant world. We're not an old covenant people with a film or a veneer of new covenant. We're new covenant people. And when you speak new covenant stuff in an old covenant world like Jesus did, that'll get you crucified. And it did. Because old covenant people, religious people, hierarchically people like that don't like that sort of stuff. They don't like that. And when the Scripture's saying, Christ, you're a new creation, that's exactly what it means. You're now living in a new covenant world with all that means. And so when Jesus speaks this incredible message on, the, on a mountaintop that day or on the side of a mountain, and He speaks that little bit of it, which is called the Beatitudes, that's about life, living in this new covenant world and why people didn't get it because they're so, so used to everything being hierarchical and the only way you could connect with God was through the, the, the priest and, and the key people in the society were the kings and the priests and the prophets and now everybody could be key in God's relationship. Now everybody could come to God in real, in real terms. Now everybody could be infused by the Spirit of God and, and be changed. That was for everybody now when you start preaching that sort of stuff to people who's, who's so vested in their past, you'll get in trouble. And so did Jesus. And so then we see these things we call the Beatitudes. And I wanna just read them to you. I don't wanna preach on one Beatitude today. I wanna just to see this whole picture and then ask ourselves the question. We have, to, we have to ask ourselves the question, if this is true, if this is a new world that we live as a new reality, how do we navigate that today? Because it's, it's pointless just having nice words. It's pointless just having nice theology if it doesn't help us navigate the world in which we live. And I want to just read to you these words of the Beatitudes and then talk about how do we navigate 
in this new world that we live in with some of these values that God is espousing for us. Let me read to you from Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they'll be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, the people listening to that message must have been inspired because there were people there who mourned. And if you were mourning or you were meek or you were in trouble, if there was something not particularly special about you, then you were probably second class. And there were people on the side of that hill who were hearing Jesus say this, wow, he's talking to me. And not only the first bits of 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 the Beatitude, but the second bits, which are the rewards were seen to be those rewards for the special people. Because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Well, now everybody's is the kingdom of heaven. But you'll see God, well, only the special people, only the religious people see God. No, everyone see God. You see, this is a new teaching, a new world. And when you put all this together, which is how I think we should look at the Beatitudes, all is one. You put it all together, this is a new way of living. But the question we've got to ask ourselves is all of those things and lots of other stuff that Jesus says in the New Testament about the kingdom of God is this, the kingdom of God is that. It's all about a new way to live. It's all about a new way to to be. It's about a new relationship or a new covenant. There's a biblical word of how we're to live, how we're to get there. And that's what this is about. And so I want us to think today about how does this, how does it mean, what does it mean for us to be new covenant people living this sort of stuff out in a world in which we live at today. You know, a great old preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon, you've probably heard of Charles Spurgeon, said this, he said, when you preach, you should have a newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other. You should be, you should be able to see what, what, what sort of the reality of the world you live in and how does God address you and how does God navigate you in that world. And I want to share with you what I consider, and this is you're going to get some of my thinking in this. Where I think we're at as, as, as a nation, as a country, as a world right now, some of the things that we're facing right at this point of time, and how do we ad- address those? I want to say, suggest that there's, there's a couple of things which are crucial for us right now that we have to navigate. One is uncertainty. It's been a really uncertain time. We don't, I don't have to tell you that. It's been uncertain. There's been a loss of where we're going. Um, it's been uncertain. And it didn't just start with COVID. We've been living that sort of stuff for a while now, loss of certainty. And people need certainty. And when there's, when there's no certainty, the next best thing is clarity. But it's been a loss of clarity too. And so people have lost hope and lost purpose, lost confidence, It's very difficult to know what the future holds with all this uncertainty. Hopes and dreams have been slashed. Relationships have been strained. Events have been cancelled. Churches have been disrupted. Businesses have been devastated. That's what this has mean. And when you look on a global scale, 
gets even bigger. Unhealthy nationalism right around the world in many places, political drama all over the world, all those sort of things. And then you have a health pandemic on top of that. You can understand why there is so much uncertainty. And much of that was in the wind before 2020. But we just had it sort of fused the last years. We live in a world of uncertainty. That's going to be the new norm. Second thing I'd say we face at the moment is what I would call a polarisation. Well, we get divided. We get so divisive about who we are, growing polarisation in our culture. Even in our happy-go-lucky Australian DNA, we find some of that. The middle ground of of discussion has been eroded. We've lost the freedom to disagree without being disagreeable. We've lost that. We formed tribes with judgment and tribes are formed. And if you're not in a certain tribe on a particular issue, you're in real danger of being discounted or even cancelled because you don't think the same way, have the same opinions as other people in your tribe. You look up the internet and many groups who you want to inform, you actually want to instruct you. You just want to know more but they want to tell you what to think, stuff like that. I look up something on the internet that I'm interested in and next time I look up, I'm fed more and more stuff on that and each time it gets a little bit more extreme. Each time it gets a little bit more difficult. It's a tough reality we have to navigate going forward. How How do we as the body of Christ, we've talked about the family of Jesus, how do we navigate polarisation? How do we act in that space? The third thing I think is, I think we're facing at the moment is what I would call, and go with me on this, what I would call the illusion of control. I do a little bit of coaching and, 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 and consulting these days with churches and stuff. And one of the things I hear people saying a lot is, is uh, I just, during the pandemic, was, I just can't wait till things get back to normal. Can't wait till they get back to normal. And I want to suggest to you that the decades we've lived up until the 20, 2020, the three or four or five decades before that were never normal. I think they were abnormal. They were pretty cushy for us, pretty cushy for the West, pretty cushy for us. You talk to someone like Janine and it wasn't that cushy. But for us in this part of the world that we live in, in what we call the West, let me suggest to you that the last three or four decades have been pretty cushy for us and in the church. Some things have happened, but we've, in those times, we've never had world wars. We've never had, you know, a global famine. We've never had um, those sort of things and a massive de- depression around the world like happened before that until fairly recently when all of a sudden we're thrown a curveball. I think it's been pretty cushy for us in the West and in the church. No major wars, etc. And I think the last 40 years we've had this, what I'd call an illusion of control, that we think we can control things. We think we're in charge. We think we can control nature. We think we can control human nature. That's how clever we are. 40, 50 years ago, man walked on the moon for the first time and now we're selling tickets to do the same. We've had more self-help courses in the last 40, 50 years and yet we look at the 
degrees of things like domestic violence and mental health and their epidemic proportions. We can't manage, we can't control nature and we can't control human nature and the last three years have shown us that. We've had this illusion of control and even folk who now think they control everything don't. It's an illusion. God's in control. We've got to understand that. And I think that's the kind of world we're navigating right now. And the question is, what do we need from this new world that Jesus introduced and got into trouble for? What do we need to live by at this time to navigate where we are? And I want to suggest to you a few things. I want to suggest to you four things that we need. It's always good to tell people how many because then you know how far through you are and when the copper coffee's away and where it's at and stuff like that. I think there are four things. Because we've talked about the paper. Let's talk now about the Scriptures, what they say. The first one is we need to be consumed, consumed by hope. Not just have a hope. We need to be consumed by hope. It's a commodity in short supply. It's, there's a real dearth of hope in this world. It's not pie in the sky, hope. It's not wishful thinking. It's not optimism. Optimism is thinking things are going to get better. Hope is realising there's a different reality. Whether they get better or not, there's a new reality. It's God dwelling within us. That's the hope that is ours. It's the unshakable surety and security in your identity in Christ. That's what our hope is. Paul says to the Roman church, we read this yesterday at the the retreat, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given us. You see this amazing progression. Trial, tribulation, difficulty, hardship. Stick with that and you get perseverance. And perseverance builds character and character brings hope. And that kind of hope that we have in God in the midst of whatever does not disappoint. Lots of things will disappoint you. Let me tell you, you'll be disappointed by people. You'll be disappointed by circumstances. You'll be disappointed by um, rising interest rates. You'll be disappointed by lots of things. But that's what a hope does not disappoint. Doesn't do that. Doesn't do that at all. I want you to listen to a prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian church. He says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He's called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people and His incomparably great power for us who believe. You know, you need to know you've got two sets of eyes, folks. We've got the eyes of our head and the eyes of our head don't see hope. The eyes of our head read the newspaper. The eyes of our head watch the news and they see heartache and grief and war and and all sorts of crime and stuff happening. The eyes of your head. Paul prays that the eyes of your heart, you've got another set. The eyes of your heart may be opened to see the hope. That's where hope is. It comes from within. 
It comes from a, a determined, a sure and assured relationship that you have with Jesus. It comes from the, the infusion of His Holy Spirit in your life, deep down inside. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be opened. We need to be consumed by that kind of hope, that kind of reality. We need to be those kind of people who are not just have it ourselves, but we become distributors of hope. Not distributors of scepticism, not distributors of fear, but distributors of hope. We need to be consumed by that. Secondly, we need to double down or ratchet up, if you like, our humble dependence. I nearly use the word desperation, and it's close to that. We need to renew our dependence, our desperation on who God is. We can live a cushy life, an easy life, just cruising by day by day on our own. You can do things on your own and feel pretty good about that and etc. Peter says, all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You see, we need to have this desperate dependence on God and I think God is looking for a desperate church. I think God in this day and age is looking for a dependent church. One that doesn't just say, well, I can do, we're pretty smart, we're gifted people, we can do a whole bunch of things on our own. No, we need to rely on him. We need to rely on him for that humble dependence. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's reaching out beyond yourself. Think of others more. Humility because it's a radical dependence on Jesus and who he is. More than we ever thought before. More than we ever imagined. Without him, nothing of significance or significant impact happens. I wonder if we really believe that. Jesus said before he went to the cross, I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I wonder if we really believe that. Do we really believe that apart from him, we can do nothing? doesn't mean we can't tie your shoelaces or, you know, whatever. Put a nail on the wall. Some of us have more trouble than that with other than others, but... It's not mean you can't do anything, but of internal spiritual significance, you can do nothing without being attached, without the dependence of Jesus. You can do nothing. And that sometimes we think we can. Or we can do a certain amount and we get to a certain level and we hit a roadblock, then we'll invite Jesus into the whole story. No, we need that humble dependence for, for day by day. See, we think we can achieve a lot. If you... It's only because we, we kind of live in this cushy part of God's world. If you're in some of those places that we saw on, those, on that video, they, they need God every day for anything, for the food on the table, for, for the piece of one page of the Bible in their hand. Without him, you can do nothing. He's the vine. We are the branches. We are, all of us, are broken people being put together by Jesus. That's who we are. Broken people put together by Jesus. How many people have heard of a, an art form called kintsugi? Anyone heard of that? 
It's a Japanese art form. You'll see a, a picture of it. It's a Japanese art form um, where there are craftsmen and artisans who put together broken pots. So a pot or a plate or a, um, a jug gets broken. And these craftsmen and women, these artisans, put it together with a lacquer that's got gold in it. It's got gold in this lacquer and, it's, and it ends up looking like that. And those pots, when they're finished like that, are worth infinitely number of times more valuable than they were before, even before they were broken, certainly when they were broken. Because they're put together by artisans and craftsmen and women who, who are able to put them together and now they're worth heaps more. It's a good picture of you and me. Broken people whom God has put together and who now dependent on Him to keep us together and to grow us together and to lead us together. We need to be people in this day and age with all that's happening around us to be people with a new dependence on the God who loved us and loves us. We need to do that. Third thing I want to say is this. How are we going to uh, navigate this world, this world in which we're in. We need to lean into adaptability. Um, when it comes to change, and there is change, change is inevitable now. When it comes to change, you either back off or lean in. Back off or not, why don't we get back to what we're used to do? Why can't we do everything we've ever done? This is the way it's always been, it's what I'm used to. Or you lean in healthily to good godly change and to navigate new ways to do things. Not talking about foundational beliefs. I'm not talking about the foundational gospel beliefs of, of who we are. They're, they're unchanging. But it's the way we do things and the way we operate changes. I know he said it publicly, so I'll say it as well. But I remember probably six or seven years ago, people in, in Gateway saying, We need to put our services online. We need to be able to expand and put, put services online and go out in, in that space. And it was a debate for years, years. Then COVID hit, we did it in three days. See, you've got to lean into change. You've got to lean in. One of the words that's been favoured, drive me crazy in the last three years, is the word pivot. Never heard that word, the word pivot. We've got to pivot got to change. We do have to change. We have to do that. It's why Jesus said this in this difficult time for him when he's talking about a new kingdom, new things coming, and old things, live, he's still living in that world. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. Ruined. Now they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Every church, every human being needs to determine that it's not an old wineskin or a shrunken garment. Because you start putting new stuff on top of shrunken stuff and it rips it to shreds. You start putting new wine into old wineskins and it wears it out. 
Jesus' story is, hey, listen, I'm living in this tricky time. It's been between. It's an in-between time. I'm espousing the values, values like I did on the mountaintop that day or mountainside that day, but continually you can't, uh, you can't just have new wine going into old wineskins. We've got to change. We've got to be open to the Spirit of God working in, as I said, not the fundamentals of the faith for some people have put it crassly and said it this way, you need, to, you need to marry the message, but date the method. Don't marry methods because they'll change. The message of Jesus is forever. And for, for 40 years, I reckon now, and as I look back, and I've been a Christian 47 years, I think 46 years, we've had this whole thing about the attractional model of church where we just... We're just hearing people come to us. No, that's that's not going to work anymore. We need to, if we just get people who come and look the same as us and be the same as us, then we'll we'll, we'll just grow because everyone looks the same and is the same. It doesn't work that way anymore. If it was like that, then the Apostle Paul would have said, well, why don't you just set up a, a, a Gentile church and a Jewish church? But he doesn't. He said, get together and work it out how you can be church together. Much easier to say, well, you Gentile back, background believers, you, you go in this church and you Jewish background believers, you go in that church. But he does it. You get together. Work it out. We need to be people who are adaptable to reach out to people who are lost and broken, who are different, who are different from us and who are like that. Alvin Toffler, if you've ever read the book Future Shock, Alvin Toffler said these words, The illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read or write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn and relearn. The illiterate of our time won't be those who can't read or write, those who can't learn, unlearn and relearn, and that's very difficult. And I'll tell you what makes it more difficult. If you've learnt something from somebody who you loved deeply, be it a parent or a loved pastor or whatever, and then you come to realise, I don't agree with that. It's much more difficult to unlearn that than it is if some random tells you that because it comes with love and grace and commitment. My mum and dad who love deeply tell me sticks and stones will break my bones but names will never hurt me. That's just not true. But it's hard to give up because mum and dad told me. We need to be people who are open to God leading us in new places and leading us in new ways taking us in new new directions in our life. As I said, not those fundamentals of the faith. They never change. But what God does with us and in us. The last thing I want to say is this. uh, We need to live the adventure of faith. I think sometimes we see faith as a static thing. I've come to faith in Jesus and now I'm in a new place. And it's static. No, living with Jesus is an adventure. Always has been and it should be. And it will require us to take steps of faith. I think it's a new era for the church. It's a new era for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. How can I be creative and fruitful in this new time? How can I be what God wants me to be in this new world of uncertainty and and things to navigate that I've never had to navigate before? How do I do that? You have to see it as an adventure. It's a life, it's an adventure. 
you know, you read through Hebrews 11, which is the, the kind of rogues gallery of the faith. And we read by faith, you know, Moses, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Rahab. Who would put that in a rogues gallery of believers? Because they all took it, they saw it as an adventure. They did stuff. They took God at his word and they made a difference. I want to leave you this morning with a, uh, an image. It's an image I've seen many, many, many times. It's the image of an African impala. It's a little animal, like a deer-like animal. That's what it looks like. It's about that big. Little deer about that big. And uh, it, it's, it runs along in packs along the side of the road. You're driving in the outback of Africa, if you like, and, and, and there are lots of them running along the roads. And the amazing thing about this animal is that it can, at its size, it can spring 10 feet in the air and 30 feet forward. So it'll run along and it doesn't make that noise, but it rings, gets that high and then goes forward 30 feet. Then run again a bit further and then go do the same thing. You think, how can a little thing like that do it? But you know what? You can corral, you can restrict an African impala or a group of African impalas by simply putting a wall around them. A wall about that big can stop them from going anywhere. And you think to yourself, how on earth can a wall like that, just that high, stop an animal that can leap 10 feet in the air and 30 feet forward? How can that be? And the reason is those little animals, the African impala, will never jump if it cannot see where it's going to land. All you have to do is build something higher than eye level and you can corral an African impala. It will never jump. You know, the trouble for us sometimes is we don't take one step of faith because we can't know where it's going to get us to. We kind of feel we need to get, we need to know what the end looks like before we take the first step. No, God says, take one step. Take a step and then I'll show you the next step. And I'll show you the next step. And, and I'll show you that. Trust me. Trust me. I think in this day and age when there is uncertainty, you don't even know where, the, where you're going to land sometimes. God's just saying, trust me for the next step. Trust me for that. Don't put walls in it. There's reasons why we don't leap. There's reasons why we don't take off. We put walls in ourselves. We get weary and tired and distracted. We just get, it's, it's hard. One of the hard things about that is as you get older, it's harder to leap just physically. And so it can be a bit harder emotionally for us to leap as well. We're, we're happy with the way things have been. And we need to take steps of faith that show that our life and our faith with Jesus is an adventure. The things Jesus said and did, including the Beatitudes and all those other words of wisdom and teaching that He gave us in His life's journey, which was to prepare a new, a new covenant which He wasn't living in yet and made it difficult, will require us as people to be hopeful, to be consumed by hope, to be dependent and desperate like never before, I think, in this time. It will require us to be that. It will need to be that dependent on who we are. It will require us to understand that our brokenness is put together by Him. And it will require us to, to lean in and trust change that He brings and take steps 
that He determines for us in our lives. I'm going to pray this morning and just that we... We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.